All right. And we are live. So welcome back to the Infinite Gain podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hilkathuria. I believe this is episode 20, which is really exciting because I heard this on Chris Williamson. The most podcasts that are ever started won't ever make it past three episodes. And 90% of podcasts will never make it past 10 episodes. And 99% of podcasts won't make it past 21. So my first goal for this pod is to be in the top 1% and to make it past 21 episodes. So recording episode 20, we're almost there, almost hitting that first milestone, which is pretty fucking cool. So I'm excited for today's episode. I have my friend Adrian, which he is a super interesting guy to me because I initially met him and he gave off the impression like he's like a party boy, frat guy, and just likes to get down and have fun. But as I started to get to know him, I started to see a lot of what was going on behind the scenes, like how smart this guy is, uh, how incredibly hardworking and driven and creative um, qualities he has. So uh, it's really cool to have gotten to know you over the past little bit. I'm excited to just have a chat. So Adrian, why don't you give me like the 60 second introduction? Like, who are you? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, you know, I think it's, it's super awesome what you're doing. I've really enjoyed listening to some of the episodes that you've made. Um, and I also want to say that you've been someone that I've also been super impressed by. Um, after initially meeting, um, I think just randomly through a mutual friend, seeing each other in the gym sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what you're working on um, and all the projects that you have going on are, are super, super cool. Um, a little introduction about myself. I think that's, that's kind of... So um, I guess I, I initially started in terms of business um, in the cryptocurrency slash finance world. I think I was really attracted by what a lot of people were putting online about that space, um, but more specifically with cryptocurrency. Um, when At the time when I first got introduced to it, it was kind of in a moment that you don't really see many times in your life, which is a market that was absolutely going ballistic in early 2017, um, when you know I was just maybe 15, 14 years old and I would just refresh the price of cryptocurrencies every day and see like 20 or 30% moves. Um, you know, that, that was something where I couldn't take my attention away from it. So the second that I kind of had the motivation to start to make some money, I knew exactly where I would start to put my money and start to, to just spend a ton of time uh, kind of diving headfirst into it. Um, so within cryptocurrency, I basically made some money from a summer job that I was working, um, put it all into crypto. I ended up buying this software, this trading software um, with half of my money. So half of all my money I bought this trading software with. And that kind of transferred my mindset from being just someone who was putting their money into cryptocurrency as like a speculator to someone who was kind of invested in actual software related to it. And I knew that with the amount of money that I had, 
I wouldn't be able to make that money back because um, you know it was half of it to buy that software. Um, but the way that I wanted to make money from it was by producing content about that software on YouTube. Um, so essentially, sell the shovel, the the gold shovel to the gold miners um, instead of mining for gold myself. Um, I'd always been interested in YouTube, so I thought that that was a really good place for me to start. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot in there. Uh, just off the bat, it's very surface level, but how much money did you put into crypto initially when you were like 14? So initially, I think it was around early 2017. This might have been when Bitcoin was like, I think I remember it hitting like $2,000 and that yeah. was being like a really big thing, uh, that Bitcoin hitting $2,000. Um, I think at that time, all of my money was probably around 1500 to $2,000. Okay. Yeah. yeah, super cool. And then you spent half of all your money on buying a trading software. So tell me more about that. Like what did the software do? What was your goal behind making such a huge investment for you at that time? And what was the underlying motivations? Like you were obviously super committed to seeing yourself grow in the crypto space. Uh, so how did, how did that stem? Was it just like the, that feeling of adrenaline of seeing something move so much and that you could be a part of it? Or was there something else that was also driving you? So how'd you buy it? What did it do? Why'd you do it? And what motivated you? So kind of, as I was saying before, you know, I was refreshing the prices of cryptocurrencies every day. And what attracted me so much to cryptocurrency was just seeing how volatile it was in terms of like the prices going up and down by like 20% every day, which if, if you look at like the stock market or any other financial market, that doesn't exist. You know, there's no other market like that. So my motivation with the trading software was to say, well, if things are going up and down 20% every day. I want to be able to kind of like automatically take advantage of that because it's happening so fast that I can't sit at my computer 24 seven and buy and sell cryptocurrency. I want to have like an automated software do it for me. So the software that I bought, I think it was like about 800 to a thousand bucks. Um, it was just something that I found like online through YouTube, through doing research. Um, and it was like an automated trading software that would use like pretty basic strategies to, to buy and sell cryptocurrency. Um, and I mean, little did I know that that would kind of propel me into automated trading and, and trading in general, um, which is kind of something that I would then spend a lot of time trying to perfect. I think I'm, I'm a pretty like competitive person when it comes to trying to like beat a certain game. Like if I'm playing a video game, I wanna keep playing it until I'm the best. Um, and it was very much the same way in financial markets. Like when I first got into markets, I kind of was, my mindset was, I'm gonna keep you know, beating my head against the wall until I find the solution to financial markets. And I, you know, obviously that can mean many, very many different things, um, but I was basically just trying to solve the market. How can I profit from this in the best way possible? Many people will start a new project or encounter on a new venture and the moment they run into some friction or some sort of hardship adversity they crumble they're 
they aren't able to handle the pressure. And what you just said is that you almost ate that pressure up and would do anything you could to figure out the best way to make progress. You're almost like a pile driver. You'd plow through the problem rather than turn around and say, let's find something new. So why? Why are you built this way? What in your life, what life circumstances has led up to you being this kind of person who's going to plow through adversity? I think that's interesting. You know, I've kind of thought a lot about my, I guess, like upbringing and environment that has kind of led me to be the way that I am. Um, And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that my parents growing up kind of had their own business that they were running. (coughs) And a lot of the times that would be something that would kind of go on like 24 seven, just even in the house, you know, seeing my parents work every single day, all day. Um, And they very much had the mindset for me that if I wanted something that, you know, at the time when I'm, when I'm like a young teenager, you know, all I wanted was like video games and, you know, like shooter games, things like that. And my parents were always like, you know, you can't, we're not going to get that for you. Anything that they considered bad, you know, I'm not going to spend money on that for you. But if you make your own money, then you can buy whatever you want. Um, and again, I, I think I was, I'm kind of like a competitive type of person. And to me, that was something where, you know, I was going to find a way to get whatever I wanted. <laughs> um, so I think it was the combination of the environment of seeing my parents work 24 seven um, and also having that like entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and then also, you know, when, when you're really young and the only thing you want is like video games or, or things that your parents don't allow you to have. Um, the only way that I could get that is if I made my own money and, uh, you know, went out there and took risks. So at what age did you make your first dollar? So I think when I think a lot farther back, I think I I started very much as like a hustler. Um, I think in maybe like elementary school, I remember starting this small, like I guess you could say business, but it was really just, I was just trying to make money any way I could. I would essentially trade video games to, to other kids in elementary school where I would get like a PlayStation the PSP PlayStation portable game, like a shooter game. And I would sell that to someone who wouldn't be allowed to, like their parents wouldn't get that game for them. So they would be willing to pay more. And I just kind of (laughs) snowballed that. Already discovering arbitrage opportunities (laughs) in elementary school. (laughs) I I guess, yeah, looking back at it, that's what it was. Um, I just kind of snowballed that into being able to like afford my own PlayStation Portable just by trading games for it. So it would just be small things like that. Even in kind of like video games that I would play, I kind of found that I was really obsessed with the trading aspect much more than the actual game itself. Like, I don't know, I think a lot of people have played FIFA. Um, In FIFA, you have like the, the player cards and I actually spent more time trading the player cards than playing the actual game. So I had like the best team that you could have in FIFA, like all with the top cards. And I barely even knew how to really play with them. What was fun for me is just building that team and being able to have those players, not even really playing the game itself. That's really cool. How did you, or 
what was your first relatively large entrepreneurial venture and how did you get into it? I know you were doing the crypto and whatnot, 14. I'm sure you were involved in some other stuff around that age or a little bit younger. So tell me about that. So I think a lot of it, so I my first, I guess, official money-making opportunity was my summer job that I had when I was getting into cryptocurrency. I was working at like a, as a camp counselor at a, a camp for young technology so just basically teaching kids like very very basic primitives of programming or um, even like they had like a robot roblox class where the kids would be playing roblox and i just had to like teach them how to play the game things like that pretty easy and i was super young um but i would say the first actual business that i started myself um mostly revolved around youtube YouTube was something that I kind of grew up on. Like I would just spend hours and hours every day watching YouTube videos. Um, And I think as like a lot of kids, I had that dream of making my own YouTube videos. I thought it was the coolest job ever. So the second that I found something that I was really interested in, which was cryptocurrency, um, and I felt like not that many people were making the videos that I wanted to watch myself. um, I remember literally just being so excited that I just got home that night that, you know, once I bought that trading software and I just started making random videos, like even two to three videos a day, just like seeing something happen in the market, make a video about it. Um, anything that I could make a video with, I would do it. And I think that that mindset of kind of not really caring what the, how good the video was, but putting it out there and then people kind of finding what they were looking for in my content that didn't exist at that time. Um, really motivated me because then once I had that first little bit of traction and at the time if I even got like 10 or 20 views to me that would be the best thing in the world Um, and I think it's really good to have that mindset where you're not expecting a thousand views or 10,000 views you know just 20 people is like super exciting it was it was like adrenaline for me I was getting addicted to the shrug Um, so I kept making videos um, and I happened to stumble onto something really amazing with that trading software because I ended up Um, seeing how much demand there was for it. A lot of people had the same thought process that I had and they wanted to do the same thing and no one else really made videos on it. So I said, even though I don't know anything about it, I'm just gonna start making videos on it. And even though I knew nothing about it, I still knew more about it than 90% of people out there. And that's all you need to do. Even if you're not the biggest expert on something, if if you've done research on it or even like used the product or software, you probably already know more than 90% of people out there, and that's already enough to make content on it. Um, So I made content on that trading software, and I would get commissions through the sales, and I can remember exactly when, it was one weekend I was on vacation with my parents, and I literally spent the entire weekend just on phone calls and messaging people that found me through my YouTube channel, um, who were just asking questions about the software, and almost literally throwing money at me to buy it and to to learn how to use it. Um, so I think that was really when I knew that I found something. That's absolutely incredible. You were doing affiliate marketing through your YouTube on this trading software. So where where did you take the YouTube? Because it seems like you had almost, you'd found this golden opportunity, right? You 
are in the perfect headspace where you're not driven by the result. You're driven by actually making this content, trying to deliver value to people and therefore like receiving value yourself. So how far did you take it and what did you learn from that initial experience? So I would say that what I learned from the initial experience um, was definitely that for content, you kind of just have to be unique. I know that whenever you watch you know, your favorite content creators or YouTubers, it's really easy to think that if you made the same type of content, um, you know, maybe you could do it better. Or um, The reality is, is that if you do something that no one else is doing on YouTube, even if initially people don't really catch on to it, um, eventually with persistence, as the quality improves, people will watch it and start to pay attention to it. Um, kind of as this trading software evolved, I started to make videos on other products and software just because I saw that there wasn't only demand for this specific trading software. People just wanted to learn more about different things that they could use in the cryptocurrency space to trade. Um, so I would make videos on other software. I started to just make videos on the market itself. So my own type of content, not even selling anything or reviewing anything, just um, videos that I enjoyed making. Um, and that really kind of compounded my success in, in selling products because I would gain this viewership and trust from my, my own opinions and my own videos that would then carry over into those like product sales, for example, um, or just reviews of products with affiliate links. Um, and over time, I got to a point where I had so many people contacting me about how to use different software um, or where they could start in cryptocurrency that I had a really good idea of what people were looking for. Like essentially I'd put myself in a place where I knew for 90%, I knew exactly what my audience wanted and what they were looking for. And I also knew all the downsides about the software that I was reviewing um, or talking about. So I was in a really good position to kind of start creating my own software. Um, and I think that's kind of what took me to the, to the next level. Wow. So how did that, well, first, are you still doing the whole YouTube crypto stuff or um, not as much? Uh, how have you kept up with it? But more importantly, how did that experience shape how you approach the current ventures that you're in right now, whether it's school um, or your current job or anything that you had explored past that? I think that it's been, it was an invaluable experience and it, it still is an invaluable experience. I think YouTube taught me a lot of things in terms of putting yourself out there and taking risks. I think the one thing that a lot of people struggle with is just taking that initial risk and kind of what I was talking about before, not being worried about how good or bad that thing is. And that's something that I still struggle with today is like, how can I kind of get that little thing in the back of my head to go away that says, you know, this isn't good enough yet. I, I think really 90% of the battle is just getting it out there and talking about it. And over time, whatever you're, you're trying to create will naturally improve. If that's videos or a product or software or whatever, um, it'll improve over time. It's really important just to, to launch it and get it out. So with my YouTube channel, that really taught me that because my YouTube videos were just 
very basic and I was like a 14 year old kid making finance videos um, and you know I, I didn't even think about that I didn't care that I was 14 years old talking about finance to most people who are double my age um, but other than that YouTube also showed me the value of content creation I think in a world where so many people are like bombarded by ads um, and content that frankly like they don't want to see you know you don't want to see some banner ad on a website and you probably won't click on it but if I make a video discussing something that you're already really interested in um, and maybe searching for and then I also mention a product that aligns right with what you are already trying to solve then that puts me in a really good place where you're very likely to use my product um, instead of kind of forcing it forcing it on the person nice talk to me how your progression throughout college has been because like I said in the introduction when I first met you you struck me as a party boy right didn't see the deep intellect that you possess because on the surface level I saw this guy who liked to have fun so how have you managed these two almost completely different personas being like like a frat guy or being like this incredibly smart driven person who is bound to be incredibly successful well i appreciate that compliment but also i think that um you know it's actually i would say it's pretty this is also something that i've thought about a good amount in terms of how much I separate my work life and social life. I think that I've found that a lot of people, at least from the age that I started kind of being interested in business and working on my own uh, companies and things like that, you know, frankly, young people, just most young people just aren't interested in it. You know, if I went to my friends and I started talking about cryptocurrency or YouTube um, or, you know, software, they would just be kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about that. Like, I, I, I wouldn't have my friends if that's all I talked about. Um, I think a lot of people, as they get older, start to realize the importance of that. And that's when they start to care about it much more. So I would say as I've gotten older, I've been able to mix my social life and my work life more and more. But I definitely do think that I still have remnants of two very different people being the social person that I'm really used to being around other younger people and my own friends. Um, and then also having like this work mode where I'm really used to talking to like 20 to 30 year olds or even older um, and being in like a more professional setting. I think it's kind of just a natural thing that developed because my friends wouldn't, wouldn't I, I wouldn't be socially where I am if I had kind of overlapped it uh, a lot. Whereas if I keep it separate, I can kind of get the best of both worlds where I'm still able to kind of pursue my own businesses, but kind of get a normal social life. Although it's ebbs and flows in terms of how much I kind of isolate myself versus actually go out and hang out with people my own age. Yeah. So is it is it difficult to have this very distinct separation 
because what you said is very true. I experience it in my own life that I'm very business minded. I love talking about business and entrepreneurship. And if I could just talk all day, every day with people about what makes successful companies and how to build cool shit, like that's all I would talk about. Uh, Or if when I was a little bit younger, if all I could do is talk about like how to get better in the gym or just talk about working out, like that's all I would do. Or before that, I'd be talking about football or just the one thing that I was super committed to getting better at and so much better. And this past, like I'd say few, maybe probably just this year in school, I've worked really hard to develop those other social skills where I can, yeah, actually have a conversation about nothing or joke around and just make people laugh. Um, So is it difficult for you? At what point did you really like develop that separation or was there any like actual thoughtful like skill building that you used to create the distinction? I would say that um, it, it came a lot from just the fact that I was kind of hide. I guess in both situations, I was kind of hiding who I was on the other end. So for example, with business, I didn't necessarily want to reveal that I was let's say when I was first starting like 15 years old, even to when I was maybe like 18, it's not necessarily the best for you to like advertise how young you are because when you are talking to mostly older people, um, they, they, it can change the way that they perceive you um, if they know really how old you are. So I kind of wanted to hide how young I was to the older people and I also wanted to hide how, I mean, I. I wouldn't say I'm the most mature person in the world, but it forced me to become more mature. So to younger people that I was friends with in school and things like that, I didn't want to show this other side that I had of, you know, being kind of this more mature young person that maybe wouldn't fit in so easily. Was it hard? Um, I would say, I think it was kind of what I was mentioning before it would be ebbs and flows in terms of how much I was socializing versus more isolation. I think isolation is a really good environment for progress. Um, I, I like to say that there are like three pillars that I can have in my life at the same time. And those pillars, at least in my young life, have been school, work, and socializing. And I like to say that you can only kind of do two of them really well at the same time. So if I'm doing really well on outside of school uh, work and social life, then I'm probably struggling in school. If I'm focusing a lot on school and outside of school work, then I'm probably struggling in my social life just in terms of I'm not hanging out with as many people and I'm kind of just busy all the time and I can't really uh, you know, socialize. So. I think those three pillars have been a common uh, theme that where it kind of changes and I try to balance it in a way where I can get the best of all three of those potential avenues. Hmm. Have you heard of this term? It's circled around 
various self-improvement communities and YouTube. Uh, the people call it monk mode. I have. And have you tried it? I know you talked about isolation is maybe the best environment to foster extreme progress. So have you gone all the way and tried something as extreme like monk mode? I think for me, what works really well, and this might be, it might seem counterintuitive, but I really like change like a lot. So however I can kind of constantly keep my environment changing, I think makes me the most productive. I won't sit here and say that staying in isolation for six months is a good thing because although maybe theoretically I could get the most work done, at the end of the day, I think the mind space that I would be in at the end of those six months would be very negative to a point where it would be detrimental to my work. So having a balance of being able to socialize, but then also having times where maybe you take a week to just focus on work um, is kind of how I've done it. So, I mean, even more recently with finals and work that I've been doing outside of school, um, I would say I've been for the past like a month or so kind of in a monk mode of not really socializing that much, um, but still really keeping myself busy with a lot of things that have been going on. Um, and then also at times switching into a mode of saying, you know, today for me to continue to be able to just focus on my work for the next couple of weeks, I need to take some time to socialize and go hang out with friends or, or something like that. Yeah, I find that as long as I'm productive in doing something, I am fulfilled with my life, whether it's doing school and working all day, but I'm absolutely exhausted from that day, I feel great, or all day I went to the gym and then I played volleyball and spike ball with friends and then I went for a run and then I did a cold plunge and then I did some meditation and went to bed. That's a great day too. But those days where maybe I'm scrolling on Instagram a little bit too much or I am in a social environment but I'm not maximizing it or I'm in the library and I'm not maximizing it, those are the days that I don't feel happy about. I feel they weren't productive. So essentially, I 100% agree with your three pillars. I think that's, that's spot on. But even with those, I feel that you're only getting that fulfillment from it if you're truly maxing out whatever two pillars you're working on. Um, so a... Do you agree with that? I'm assuming you do. And B, if you had to, if you made that discovery along the journey, like how did you realize, okay, like I need to be putting this much effort into what I pursue? I think a really large part of being able to commit to something or put a lot of effort into something is self-awareness and I think this is kind of adding on to what you were saying um, I think a lot of people can kind of put their goals to the side and not feel bad about it because if you're scroll spending an entire day scrolling on Instagram 
And at the end of the day, you still feel like you've done something that day, even though you've put aside some other goals that maybe you, you want to achieve, um, then that, that's a really bad thing to feel okay about that. So I think for me, being able to be self-aware about, um, you know, I kind of just spent today being really unproductive or I, I just didn't feel like working for whatever reason, changing my environment in a way, and well, first realizing that I was unproductive that day is important. So, so thinking about what you did, about how you feel at the end of the day, and realizing whether it was a really good productive day or not so good of a day, and then taking action to actually changing your environment to make yourself more, to, to allow yourself to be more productive. So, I mean, I, I think what I've kind of created for myself is maybe a bit extreme to what some people would maybe start with, but for things like social media on my phone, which naturally being someone who's online so much, there's so many other distractions that can catch my attention and it ends up taking a lot of time. I mean, if you just take two or three hours that you're on your phone every day and put that towards something productive, that's already massive. And for a lot of people, that's not even, that, that's less than half of how much they're on their phone every day. Um, so my phone was like my first target and, and really just social media and things like that in general. So I have like this app on my phone that blocks a lot of social media and what I just consider to be non-productive apps during the week. And I basically only allow myself Sunday to, to be on those apps. Other I love that, that. I literally can't use Instagram, YouTube, um, basically 90% of social media apps unless it's something for communication um, I can't use. And that's gotten my phone usage, I think probably from when I was younger, let's say maybe eight hours a day to I think now I'm consistently getting like two to three hours, which I mean, that's massive. And it, it opens up your day because a lot of the time you might be saying, I don't have time for this or that. But if you look at your phone and you're using your phone for, let's say, six to nine hours a day, you do have time to do much more than you realize. That's awesome. And I was out here thinking that my two and a half hours a day was way too much. And I'm trying to cut back on it. Um, but yeah, dude, I love that. How how did you develop self-awareness? Because you're 100% right that most people are easily comfortable with not making progress. They're comfortable with stagnancy and mediocrity. And part of that is a product of our society and our school systems being awarding kids with participation trophies and things like everyone's a winner and it's okay you tried uh there's an emphasis on this might be controversial but like i think mild to medium forms of bullying are productive for society uh so all that kind of stuff like trying to safeguard our children is probably like created this generation who is so comfortable with being mediocre so how did you develop the self-awareness for yourself to realize I actually am not comfortable when I'm not making progress? I think it's interesting, and this also segues into a very, I guess, hot, not hot topic, but something that a lot of people talk about, um, which is kind of like how you reward yourself. Um, but, but it kind of happened in a roundabout way. Um, when I had my business take off. So you, I was really passionate about YouTube and 
when I had that success, like initially, that caused me to feel what it was to have that rush and adrenaline from having a successful business. I think when, if you ask most people what their most rewarding activity or, or thing would be, they would probably say, you know, hanging out with their friends or going out to drink at a bar or something like that. And I think that it, a majority of the time, the reason why they say that is just because they haven't experienced what it feels to have that rush when you create something that becomes successful and you start to get adoption or you, you start making money or whatever makes you really excited. Um, I think that that rush dominates any other thing that you could ever do. So I think that having that feeling of success and kind of getting hooked onto it made me then be self-aware of all the other things that I was doing that didn't give me that feeling. So if I was on my phone on social media, like, yeah, I might feel it might be cool to do for 15 minutes, but at the end of it, I would just feel drained and it would be nothing compared to how I would feel if I was working on something that I felt that I was actually progressing on. So I, I think it's interesting because I mean, a lot of people, they say, you know, do like a dopamine detox and get everything out of your life. I actually think the most important aspect of that is start to be aware and feel the positive feelings of things that you're doing when you're productive. Like if you complete a project that you're really set on, having that feeling at the end of the project of being really excited about what you've created or what you've done is the most valuable thing that you can do. Because then all the next times that you don't have that feeling or when you're not doing something that's getting towards that goal of having that feeling, um, then you'll start to realize that those things are probably not the most productive. Like going out to drink, although you might get a little buzz from it, the next three days you might feel horrible. Whereas if you build something that's successful, you could feel amazing for a week. Like it doesn't even compare. I 100% agree. Um... That was kind of good for me to hear, especially right now as I'm considering going out tonight. But <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I thought it was interesting how you didn't say, I wake up every morning and I write in my journal and then I meditate for 20 minutes and then I hop in the cold plunge, <laughs> which seems like that's like the popular kind of uh, methods that you see. Um, in the online communities, like, oh, you got to do all this and this and this and this, and then write down 10 things you're grateful for, and then, you know, pray to the sun, or whatever it is. Uh, but you're like, no, I just work. And I fucking love winning when it comes to work. Exactly. <laughs> and it's being, you're addicted to the good shit, you know? You're hooked on success. And that's great. That's absolutely incredible i love that i have done this thing where i interview people and i ask previous interviewers or interviewees to leave a question for someone who i'm going to interview in the future so this comes from a friend and his question is if you were someone who had nothing going for them in their life what would be your first step in self-improvement? I think the biggest part of self-improvement, I mean, I, I think it's very relative to everyone. And that's kind of what I was mentioning, like 
with my phone usage and even your phone usage. You think that two hours and 30 minutes is way too much. Whereas for me, that might be something that is really, really good compared to what I was doing before. Um, I think for everyone, their progress is extremely relative. Like you might be in a much, much more difficult or negative place than as a starting point compared to maybe something that I've experienced or someone else has experienced. So the most important thing is the consistency towards the positives. So I think like an easy example that I've had is with programming. Programming is like a skill that, that I picked up over the past, let's say two years, and I've been able to get to a really good place with that. Um, and for me, it just started where I just made the commitment to myself that I was gonna spend 15 to 30 minutes every day doing some form of programming, whether that was literally just making a file and typing some lines of code or watching a video or doing a tutorial. Um, that 15 to 30 minutes seemed really achievable to me because even if I'm busy the entire day, I can wait 15 minutes before I go to bed and just type a little bit on my computer. Um, so starting with like a super achievable goal like that, um, even if it's like five minutes, um, building that consistency into your routine, um, and then it kind of expands over time because then maybe that five minutes that you're looking um, at programming or learning a new skill might start to snowball because you'll find you'll set yourself, um, you know, actually instead of spending five minutes, I want to spend an hour today. And the next day, maybe I want to spend two hours because you, you start to go down a rabbit hole. Putting yourself in situations where you can fall into those rabbit holes and fall into things being productive almost unintentionally is a really, really positive way to start. Um, and it doesn't matter how little that is at the very beginning. Incredible. I love that answer. It's something I've used in my own life, some of those strategies, whether it's been reading, sitting down to read. I say, I'm going to read a page. And through committing to read a page, I end up reading a chapter. Or when I don't feel like working out, I am committed to packing up, putting my clothes on, driving to the gym, and at least doing a warm-up. And if I still hate myself and want to leave at that point, like, cool, at least I did the warm-up. But most of the time, I do the warm-up, I feel amazing, and I do the workout. Or school. Putting myself on the fourth floor of the library where it's quiet, it puts me in this environment where, well, at least I might as well do some work if I'm up here. Just making the habit of going up to the fourth floor had made me like, okay, be more productive. So I really like the suggestion of just starting small and doing something that is very, very attainable within your grasp, because slowly as you do that, what becomes within your grasp expands. That's very cool. Um, so what is the most important lesson that you've learned through your life experiences? The most important lesson that I've learned through my life experiences, um, I think it's twofold. Um, one part that I guess I, I didn't get a chance to mention is, has also been the importance of projects within my life. I'm someone who I went to a very like different type of early like elementary school. 
Um, and that elementary school was all focused on projects in order to learn. It was like a new style of learning. That style of learning has kind of stuck with me to a point where I feel very unfulfilled unless I'm doing some form of project in my life. So I think that having a project that you're always working on, no matter what, um, is, is really important. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is also having the ability to actually commit to starting a project in the first place. Kind of as I was mentioning before, I think that there are a lot of people that have those ideas or those goals, but it's honestly the most difficult part is taking that first step to starting it, no matter how impossible it might seem. Um, like taking some time to starting the project and then seeing it through rather than just let it die out or spend one day on it and then never go back to it. Honestly, it's more important to stick with a really bad project than to just spend one day on it and never look at it again. You know, I, I think actually getting to that starting point and having something that you're working on is, is one of the most important lessons that I've had because by forcing myself to always have something that I'm working on, it forces me to always be progressing or being exposed to something new um, in pretty much every part of my life. And every time I see you, there's some kind of cool shit that you can talk about. Every time I see you, you either, A, it's some cool shit that you did in your past and I'm learning and I'm hearing a cool story or you're talking about some new venture that you've done or that you're embarking upon or that you're about to start. And every time it's consistent, it's, you're always doing something cool. And I completely agree that action is the hardest thing. I had a conversation with a friend and he's very, very smart. And this guy is going to do amazing things. And he said, I would like to be an entrepreneur. And if I was an entrepreneur, I would take a job in the field that I wanted to open a company in. I would spend 10 years in the company, learn everything about the business, and then learn a little bit more, do as much studying as I can, and then start the business. And then for me, I was like, dude, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm just going to start a business and do things. And by doing things, I will learn and learn and probably learn way faster because I'm actually taking action on the things. And it, 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 it's exactly what's happening with my new business venture or with this podcast. I'm realizing that, okay, well, I actually love to learn about people and through recording podcasts and through doing each one, I've be developed this skill at being able to ask deeper questions and getting people to open up better and even picking who I want to interview. All of these things I have learned uh, through doing the podcast and I don't know if I would have learned it if all I did was A, listen to podcasts or B, try and read about how to start a podcast. I just did it. And have learned so much. Um, Adrian, this interview has been incredible. Um, I would like for you to pass on to the next guest. What is a question that you would like me to ask them? I think a good question that kind of relates to the conversation that we've had today for the next guest would be what is something in your life that 
you feel gives you the most joy or the most the highest high that um, that no other part of your life can can give you what have you been addicted to always chasing that feeling again um, because although there might be other things that can give you you know a feeling of joy or happiness nothing else can compare to that one other thing incredible and with that I have one more question for you and this is very open-ended so answer it however you like but what is your mission my my mission ultimately is to always be building I think that I, I've thought about this from the standpoint of I think a lot of people get trapped in this idea that maybe money is the only thing that they're chasing um, I mean ultimately it really depends on the person in terms of what gives them that joy and that excitement in their life and I think for me I've been fortunate to find that thing in my life that gives me joy and fulfillment and for me that's building so ultimately it doesn't matter if I sell my company tomorrow for ten billion dollars or I go bankrupt tomorrow and have zero dollars I know that the thing that I can do that gives me that joy regardless of where I am in my life is by constantly building I think someone that's a really good example of this um, and it's also very cliche but Elon Musk is one of the most successful people in the world and something that I think is really interesting about him that's very different if you start to look at most other billionaires or very successful people is that Elon Musk didn't just take some amount of money that he made that most people would just retire on. He took that money and instead of retiring on it, he literally risked all of it to continue to do what he was excited about, which is starting new businesses. I think I want to follow a very similar path because that's what excites me. I want to always be building something, no matter if I have a billion dollars and decide to risk it all, or if I have zero dollars and still decide to risk it all to, to try to build something that I'm excited about. Incredible. That was a beautiful answer. I myself am a builder, so I love that. Uh, thanks for coming on, Adrian. It was truly a pleasure interviewing you today, and I wish you the best of luck in whatever venture you embark upon. I know you're always going to be doing cool shit, and that might be my favorite part about you, but um, I definitely learned a lot. It was it was good to talk to you today, so uh, thank you so much. I truly am grateful. So this was the Infinite Gain Podcast. If you guys enjoyed, please drop a follow and leave any comments you have in the Q&A section down below. I am your host, Nick Hill Kathuria, and have a good one.